0: Welcome back to the 1-2 Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is all about sleep. Specifically, the information we give to our student-athletes on how they can improve their quantity and quality of sleep. Because one thing that I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, sleep isn't the only thing, but it affects everything. And this topic is a topic that I'm extremely interested in, mainly because as soon as I started prioritizing my sleep, I saw a huge improvement in my quality of life. My performance as a strength coach improved, I became a better leader, a better father, a better husband, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why I feel so strongly that we need to educate our student athletes on sleep so they can have the same benefits that I did. As always, I hope you enjoy my conversation. Sleep education is important. And it's one of those topics that does not fall directly into one specific performance staff's wheelhouse. Meaning that if we're talking about how to get a student athlete stronger, obviously that falls into the wheelhouse of us as strength coaches. If we're talking about macronutrients, fats, proteins, carbs, that's going to fall in the wheelhouse of our dietitians. But sleep education is in that gray area. But it is something that we need to make sure that we are educating our student athletes in. And the information that we give them does not need to go super in-depth, but we need to educate them more than, out, than just the general statement of, hey, sleep is important. Get more sleep. We need to educate them on how specifically they can improve their quality and quantity of sleep. The next thing I wanted to hit on with that is just like with everything, the first time you talk with your student athletes about a new concept, it's probably going to go in one ear and out the other. So this isn't a one-time deal. You got to make sure that the information that you go over with them, it is reviewed consistently throughout the month, semester, season, academic year, whatever it might be. So you gotta consistently review the information that you're going over with them in regards to their sleep education. Now, I wanted to break down the topics that we typically go over with our student athletes. The first one being sleep hygiene, which really comes down to developing and creating your own sleep routine. Next one is a breakdown of the difference between REM and non-REM sleep cycles. The third one is napping 101. The fourth one is alcohol's effect on sleep and recovery. And then the last one being sleeping in a hotel. How can you maximize your sleep while you're on an away trip? Now, the purpose of this podcast episode is kind of twofold. If you're a performance staff member at another university or maybe new to the University of Kentucky, you can listen to this episode and have a general idea of the information that we present to our student athletes in regards to sleep. On the flip side of that, if you're one of our student athletes and you've heard all this stuff before, this can be a good refresher for you. So you can revisit the information that we're going to talk to you about naps and alcohol and sleeping on the road. So kind of a two birds, one stone situation we got here. Now, before I move on any further, I wanted to let you know that the information that I'm about to go over and that we typically present to our student athletes mostly comes from a guy named Matt Walker. And he's a professor, I believe, of neuroscience at Cal Berkeley. Um, But he has a podcast appropriately named the Matt Walker Podcast. And if you're interested in sleep, I highly recommend you give him a listen. But he has dedicated this podcast to around topics about sleep and everything involving sleep. So whether it's dreams, insomnia, melatonin, caffeine, and so much more. And then he is also a part of a organization called The Sleep Foundation. Their website is sleepfoundation.org. And I have found a ton of great articles and information on their website. So everything I'm about to go over in this episode most likely has been pulled from Matt Walker's podcast or the website sleepfoundation.org. Now. Let's get into the topics that I mentioned a few seconds ago. And I'll try to break down each one briefly so you have an understanding of the information that we're talking to our student-athletes about as it regards to sleep. So the first one being sleep hygiene. So the main point here when we are introducing and reviewing this material is that we want our student-athletes to develop a consistent bedtime routine. And what that means? is that we want them to start prioritizing their sleep. We want to make sure that they aren't letting it become a passive uh, part of their daily routine. We want to make sure that they are being proactive and that they are planning what time they are going to go to bed each and every night. And the ultimate goal is to be in bed and fall asleep within the same hour every night, Monday through Sunday. So for example, for me, this is my goal. This isn't what happens every single day, but this is my goal. I want to fall asleep, be in bed between the hours of 9 and 10 PM every single night. Now, sometimes that's closer to 9 PM. Sometimes it's closer to 10, but that is my hour window. Now, realistically, for people that work in college athletics and our student athletes, We have chaotic schedules. So it might not be ideal every single night, but the most important thing is that we are planning our bedtime. We are prioritizing our sleep, and we are not letting it be a passive part of our daily routine. And the why behind this is because our body craves consistency, and we are not going to be able to perform at our best If we are going to sleep on Monday at 9 p.m. and then Tuesday at 2 a.m., Wednesday at midnight, that's not what's going to be best for our bodies, our mind, our recovery, and ultimately, our performance. So that is that. We want to develop a consistent bedtime or bedtime routine. The next point in our sleep hygiene conversation is we want to talk about our sleep environment when we wanna make our bedroom environment as close as we can to a cave. We want our uh, bedroom to be cool, we want it to be dark, and we want it to be quiet. Now, the temperature is kinda up to you and you gotta figure this out. But more than likely, you're gonna sleep the best when your bedroom temperature is somewhere between the mid and upper 60s. We also want your room to be as dark as possible. So making sure that your shades are drawn tight to eliminate any light that might be coming from uh, your apartment's uh, parking lot, street lights, things like that. And we want to try to cover up any other light that is out there from any device that you might have in your room. So that means TV screen is off. Um, For me specifically, uh, my nightstand alarm clock, that light that shows the time is extremely bright. So every night, I'm putting a washcloth over that clock so that light isn't interrupting my sleep. Now, uh, we have to understand, and this kind of goes into what you should be doing leading up to your scheduled bedtime. But you got to understand that that light that's coming in is going to suppress your body's natural ability to release melatonin. And that is the hormone. That's the chemical that's going to help us fall asleep. So going along with that at least one hour before bedtime, you gotta make sure you're trying to eliminate any of that blue light exposure. So that's light coming from your iPhone, a tablet, a TV. You wanna try to eliminate that one hour before bedtime. Now going along with your routine leading up to bedtime, you want to avoid any large or excess amounts of food or liquids. So you don't wanna be having a giant meal 30 minutes before you're scheduled to go to bed. That's going to lead to poor quality of sleep. Now with that, you also want to try to avoid any excess amounts of water that you're drinking, with the main reason being, if you're chugging a gallon of water at night because you didn't stay hydrated throughout the day, you're probably going to be waking up five, six, seven times at night to go to the bathroom, and obviously that's going to interrupt your overall quantity of sleep. So that's that. So one hour before bedtime, avoiding light and making sure we're not having an excess amount of food or liquids before bed either. Another tip I like to talk through when we're giving this sleep hygiene talk is making sure our student athletes understand that our bed is meant for sleeping. And what I mean by that is that every time we get into bed at night, we want our brain to automatically associate us getting into the bed, that act with us falling asleep and nothing else. So we want to avoid everyday activities like studying, watching TV, eating. We want to do all of that not in our bed. So study at a desk, watch TV on a couch, eat at your table in uh, your kitchen table. So you're not doing that in bed. So your body is, or I'm sorry, your mind is able to associate the act of your body getting into bed with falling asleep, and then you're going to be able to fall asleep much quicker and easier. Now, talk, we talked about sleep hygiene, and that's not everything, but that's the main points that we hit on. Next thing i like to talk about with our student athletes is just a simple breakdown of the difference between REM and non-REM deep sleep. Now this is going to be a very basic, a very simple explanation because I feel like that is what they need. We don't need to get into the weeds of the difference between those two sleep cycles. But first, we need to understand that REM stands for rapid eye movement. And we're going to define non-REM deep sleep first. So non-REM deep sleep. This is when, for the most part, our body recovers. So this is when our muscles, our tissues repair themselves. This deep sleep is also extremely important when you're recovering from some sort of injury or maybe even a surgery because this is when the body is going to heal itself the most. So when we think deep non-REM sleep, we want to think, okay, this is when our muscles are repairing themselves. On the flip side of that, we have REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, Our brain activity is very high during REM sleep. And this is when our brain repairs and recovers. So when we have good quality REM sleep, we are able to learn new skills, retain new knowledge, improve our memory, stabilize our mood, be in a better mood, which is obviously not just important in sport, but it's also important in life. Now, as I'm talking through the difference between REM and non REM sleep with my teams also like to show them a graphic that breaks down an eight hour period of sleep and in this graphic they are able to see that deep sleep non-REM deep sleep is most prevalent within the first four hours of sleep and REM sleep dominates the last four hours so this is why it's so important for us to prioritize our sleep routine prioritize our sleep so we can strive to get seven to eight hours each night so that our mind and our body can recover fully from the stresses that we place on it. So that is a very simple breakdown of REM versus non-REM sleep. And the next thing we go into is napping 101. College kids love to nap. So this is what we talk about. We emphasize that naps can be good. But they also need to be intentional. They need to be planned out. And they shouldn't be consistently used to make up for poor sleep quality or quantity. And here are some of the tips that we talk about when we talk talk about napping. First thing is do it before 2 p.m. Napping during the late afternoon and evening interrupt our body's natural sleep cycle. Meaning it's going to be harder for you to fall asleep if you're taking a nap at 5 p.m. So nap before 2 p.m. and keep your naps between 10 to 40 minutes in length. Anything longer when you wake up, you might be drifting into a, a deeper sleep. Is going to feel you you're going to feel more groggy when you wake up. The next tip is if you're going to nap before a workout with your strength coach or a practice, leave at least. 30 minutes between when you're waking up from your nap and the start of that practice. This will allow your body and mind to fully click back on so you're ready and focused for whatever activity you got coming your way. Next thing is more of a research quick tip. It's that if you wear a sleep mask when you nap, your perceived quality of your nap is automatically going to go up. So even if you do only have 10 to 20 minutes to take a nap, if you wear a sleep mask, the research says your perceived quality is going to go up. Research also says that if you consume a small amount of caffeine before your nap, this helps alleviate that grogginess feeling that you have when you wake up. And this happens because caffeine typically takes about 30 minutes to fully kick in. So if you take a small dose of caffeine before your nap, you nap for 20, 30, 40 minutes. When you wake up, that caffeine will have kicked in. You're not gonna be groggy when you wake up. Last tip is if you can't nap. Sometimes we got busy schedules and you can't squeeze a nap in when you normally would. The next best thing is to get outside, get into some direct sunlight, and that is shown to provide the same energy boost as a short nap. So if you can't nap, get out in the sun, get some direct sunlight, and hopefully you have the same energy boost that you would get after taking a nap. Next topic we're going to talk about is alcohol and alcohol's effect on sleep. Now, we all know alcohol has some terrible effects on our mind, our body, our recovery, etc. cetera. But for this part of this podcast, I'm just going to scratch the surface as it pertains to our sleep. And the first thing you need to understand that the sedative effects of alcohol are not the same as our body's natural ability to fall asleep and stay asleep. Some people think that alcohol is a sleep aid and that is 100% false. Sedation is not the same as sleep. And this is something I got from Matt Walker's podcast. If you were to look at the electrical signature of sedation for sleep, you would see that those two are extremely different. So we have to understand that alcohol causes sedation. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are sleeping. The second issue is that alcohol fragmentary sleep. Uh, It causes you to have short awakenings that you don't remember resulting in uh, your sleep being less continuous. And this is why after a night of drinking, you wake up and you don't feel restored. You don't feel refreshed because your sleep has been fragmented. And the reason for this is because alcohol stimulates the fight or flight branch of your nervous system, which is your sympathetic nervous system. Um, and this is caused by alcohol spikes are release in cortisol, which is our stress hormone. So typically when we fall asleep naturally, cortisol drops, but with alcohol, our sleep is fragmented. We're not uh, as easy to fall asleep because cortisol starts spiking because we have alcohol in our system. And the third concern with alcohol is that it blocks our REM sleep cycle and we've already talked about how important REM sleep is to our overall well-being but uh, when our REM sleep is limited so is our recovery process so the moral of the story when it comes to us recovering when it comes to our quality and quantity of sleep there is no good effect that alcohol has on that process and we have to be aware of that now last but not least we have sleeping on the road sleeping uh, in a hotel now how do we maximize our sleep when we're on the road staying in a hotel and the first thing that i like to come back to is the concept that we need to understand that we can only control so much but what we can control we got to take 100 ownership in that And by doing that, we're gonna help maximize our sleep quantity and quality while we are staying in a hotel. Now, during this talk with our student athletes, I like to bring up the study that was done that looked at the most common reasons why people had poor quality and quantity of sleep when they stayed in a hotel. And then I like to follow up with some reasonable suggestions on how they can help avoid those factors. So in this study, they found that Poor sleep, the number one cause of poor sleep in hotel was because the hotel and that specific hotel room had terrible pillows, which seems like a quick fix. So if you know that you're somebody that your sleep will be affected by the pillow that you use, bring your pillow from home, take it on the bus with you, take it on the plane with you, bring a pillow from home, and then that's an easy fix for you to get better quality of sleep while you're staying in a hotel on a road trip um the next one is the temperature of the room is too high the room is too hot and this seems like an easy one to fix as well you need to compromise with your roommate but all you got to do is lower the thermostat now one thing you do have to make sure you do is let's say you get to your hotel room you drop off your bags but then you gotta head right to a, a practice or something like that check the thermostat see what temperature it's on if you lower it then, and then you go to practice and you come back and the room is still hot, then get with your Dop get with your coaches and see if you can get moved into a room with a functioning AC unit. And that seems like a reasonable um, thing that we can control to make sure that we are prioritizing our sleep. Now, the next cause of poor sleep is a tough one. And that is, is that the mattress sucks in the hotel room. So it's a poor, bad, Mattress, this one's tough because you're not bringing a match with your own mattress with you on the road. You can't put throw that on a bus, throw that on a plane. The only reasonable solution that I have is that you might be able to counter that bad mattress with bringing something from home, like your own blanket. Maybe if you're sleeping with your own blanket, a comfortable blanket that you have, that might be able to um, counteract the poor sleep that you might get from sleeping on a bad mattress. And I know that one's tough as well. So that might be one where you just got to bite the bullet and uh, do everything else to the best of your ability, control everything else that you can control to maximize your sleep. Now the next one, so this would be number four on why people get poor sleep in a hotel is noise from the street, noise from an elevator or ice machine. This is another thing kind of similar to the, the temperature in the room. So as soon as you get to your hotel room, if you realize you're right by the elevator and you hear it, it's loud, try to switch rooms as quickly as possible. Don't wait until 11 o'clock at night to realize, hey, it's getting kind of loud because the elevator's dinging every uh, three minutes. Let's try to figure that out sooner than later. Get with your coaches, get with your D and see if you can move rooms. And the last point was excess light. This might be light that's coming from uh, the hotel parking lot. This might be a light that's coming from uh, the hallway. Uh, the best solution that I have found, this is something that I don't do, but it will definitely be something that I try out, is bring a sleep mask with you on the road. So we all have been in hotels where you try to close the blinds, and no matter how tight you try to close them, there's always light that's spilling in. But if you have a sleep mask on, that might help your your quality of sleep. Um, So sleep mask is my number one suggestion. Now, you might get some light that's spilling in from the hallway. Typically, that's coming from underneath the door. A quick fix for that is grab a towel from the bathroom, lay it out, shove it at the bottom of the door, and hopefully that blocks out the light that's spilling in from the hallway. So that's the solution for the hallway light. A solution for light that you can't block out with the shades or the blinds is bring a sleep mask with you. Now, with all those tips, those are great tips. You got to understand that there is this phenomenon called the first night effect. First night effect. This is when you have a hard time sleeping in a new place, which is what happens when we stay in a hotel room for the first time in a new city, um, on a new campus, whatever it might be. But we gotta understand that this is something that our body does because of a protective mechanism. So when you're in a new place, your senses are heightened, you have a harder time falling asleep and staying asleep. To counter this, to counter the first night effect, I suggest that you prioritize your sleep to the umpteenth degree when you're on the road. Make sure you set your bedtime. Make sure that you're trying to maintain your nightly rituals just like you would do if you were back on campus. And then try to make your hotel room environment as close as you can to your room at home, making sure that the temperature is the same, that it's dark, it's quiet, all those things that you can control. Now, I know I just went over a lot of information, but I hope you learned something. Um, but the last thing I want to leave you with is this, you can't manage what you don't measure. So all these tips have been great, right? But you need to make sure that you are tracking your quality and quantity of your sleep. So you know what is and isn't working for you in regards to your sleep routine and sleep habits. Now, this doesn't need to be done with a special device or an app that costs a bunch of money. There are plenty of free apps out there. You just have to look for them. But part of prioritizing your sleep is tracking your sleep. And this simple act will help you so much in the long run as you try to maximize your recovery and ultimately your performance. As always, thank you so much for listening. Reach out to us with any questions or comments by emailing us at ukstrength at Thanks and go cats.